You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Don't you add whatever your conviction is to the gospel message. You can believe it's better for a Christian never to touch alcohol. But if you make that a legalistic line to get somebody into heaven or out of heaven, you just adulterated the gospel message. If you make whether somebody goes to movies or not. Listen, if you add anything to the gospel message, you've just... Ruined. It's crucial that you differentiate what's true gospel and what are personal measures you take to stay away from sins specific to you. Don't try to impose your rules on others when God's rules are all that they should be concerned with. Pastor Danny reminds you today that God's Word makes clear what's expected and that any skewing of it is wrong. Many churches have added rules to God's Word, and though those rules may have started with the intent of keeping you away from sin, they are man-made and corruptible. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Galatians chapter 1 as he continues his message, Maintaining the Purity of the Gospel Message. was the Lord's half-brother, grew up with Jesus. When certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, Peter began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the, the circumcision group. The circumcision group were those Jews, and then there were some Gentiles that were added to them, but it's basically a Jewish group, and they were saying, no, nah, you really want to be close to God. You believe in Jesus, yes, but You need to adhere to, and they had their list. And circumcision was right there at the top. And they believed they were more holy, more righteous. The other Jews joined him, Peter, in his hypocrisy. So that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas led astray. Barnabas is a great leader in the church. He's a tremendous Bible teacher. He's a missionary along with the apostle Paul. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, wow, he did it publicly. Why? Because Peter's doing what he's doing publicly. You're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? (laughs) I wish we had a video of this because I'd like to know what Peter's face looked like. We aren't given all the details of what's happened here, but Peter's being confronted strongly. Paul goes on, verse 15, we who are Jews by birth know, and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. You have the main message of the book, 
the purity of the gospel message. Well, then you have to consider Peter's failure. It was a big failure. It was serious. So much so that Paul confronted him publicly. What was his failure? He misrepresented the gospel. He, in essence, was agreeing with the false teachers that there were some things in the law of Moses that you got to still adhere to, and you can have faith in Jesus, but then you got to add this to it. He adulterated the purity of the message of the gospel. And by doing so, man, once you do that, all kind of other things shoot off of it. You know what the first one is? Now your basis of fellowship is not the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Now the basis of your fellowship is whatever adherence you believe in that makes you, your group more holy than somebody else's group. For ours in the back, my Baptist background, it was, we didn't dance. Mm-mm, mm-mm, Baptists don't dance. And I know we have some new people with us in our church the last few weeks, and you say, what's the position of Calvary Chapel Fellowship? Well, it's the same it's always been since I've been a Calvary Chapel pastor. In our church, uh, our belief in dancing is some can and some can't. <laughs> and we found out that's true. Absolutely. We didn't believe in going to movies. You went to a movie? <gasps> you ever touch an alcoholic beverage, and there were all these things, you know, that we said, well, we're more righteous. And, and, and our haircuts, boy, they proud of me today. I'm telling you, the Baptists, my back, they're like, man, you, your hair as a man could not touch your ear because my, my uncle took me aside when I first committed my life to Jesus Christ, and he took me to that Corinthians verse that says that a woman's hair is given to her as a covering, you know, and a man, uh, God's, Danny, what did God give the woman hair to cover? I started thinking about it, and I was pretty smart. I said, her ears. And my uncle said, you're right. That's it. And so the guys in the Baptist church that I came from, man, you had to have your hair above your ears or else you, you were in sin. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy some of the things we believe. This is Peter. This is Peter. He knew the truth. Did you hear what I said? Listen to me. Hey, look. He knew the truth. It's not that Peter goes, he didn't understand the gospel. It's not that he didn't, he didn't get it, you know. He understood the truth of the gospel. He knew what the gospel was. He knew he wasn't righteous except for what Jesus did. So that begs the question then. If he failed and he failed so miserably, why did he do it if he knew the truth? That's an excellent question. You know why he did it? That's why he did it. Peer pressure. Come on now, say it with me. Here's what it is. You ready? Let's say the definition. Social pressure to take a certain action, adopt certain values, or otherwise conform in order to be accepted. Let me clue you in on something. Peer pressure doesn't affect just the middle schooler. You can give in to peer pressure no matter what age you are, no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, you can give in to peer pressure. Peter did. Before certain men came from James, the Jerusalem church, he was living in line with the gospel. He was rightly representing the gospel when these guys showed up, and they're the circumcision group. <laughs> they're, you know, the, we don't go to movies. We don't drink alcohol, or whatever it is. I hope you understand my point there. Peer pressure. You know the sister to peer pressure? 
sure you do. Fear. What is fear? Here we go. Ready? Say it. An unpleasant emotion caused by exposure to danger, expectation of pain. I don't know who it was that said it. I would like to meet them, but I'm sure they're dead by now. I would like us all to corner them and confront them just like Paul confronted Peter. You know who it is I want to confront that's probably already dead? It's the first person that said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I'm like, you liar. You are a liar. And my parents believed it. And they said when I was a little kid, when they say those things to you in school, just say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. The Bible says the power of life and death is in the tongue. You can hurt somebody with your tongue. You can influence somebody with your tongue. Tongue is a powerful instrument. James says, man, you put these rudders on ships and you can make them go. You put these things on horses, bits and horses, you can direct them. They said the tongue, woo, powerful. Fear. Why do I bring up the tongue? Because <laughs> the pain, the fear, isn't always because you're, you're fearing something physical going to happen. You're not going to physically get beat up like the Apostle Paul did. No. Sometimes it's just the attitude that you're going to get. Sometimes it's the look. And let me tell you, no matter how young or how old you are, fear pressure is an issue. Fear is an issue. You know what God made a practice in the Old Testament? I wrote it down. I'm not going to turn to it, but you can write it down if you want. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. Before Israel would go out to battle, their army, their army would gather together, and God would have the priest go and stand before the army and give a little message. And the message went like this. Okay, you're going into battle for the Lord today. Be brave, be courageous. And if there's anything in your life that's now more important than you giving your life in the battle for the Lord, you need to think about that. Now, I'm summarizing, but you go read it. This is what it says. And the priest would say, you got a house, you haven't re yet dedicated it. Basically, you, you know, you, you got the mortgage started, you know, you, you bought the house, but you haven't really got it furnished or anything. And, and if you're thinking more about the house... Maybe you better reconsider. You've been pledged to be married. And you're thinking, oh, man, I don't know. Maybe I won't get married now. I might die in battle. If you're thinking more about that, then maybe you ought to reconsider. You know what the last thing the priest would say? Last thing the priest would say, if any man is afraid, and he would say, if you're afraid, then go home. Because your fear will affect those who are fighting side by side with you. And if you retreat, You'll lead others into retreat. That's why Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1, and he says, I want you to know the things that have happened to me, all the terrible things that happened to me for the sake of the gospel. They've served to advance the gospel, and they've also been used to encourage, encourage the church. Another verse you might want to write down, Proverbs 29, 25, here's what it says. The fear of man will prove to be a snare. It'll latch hold of you. And keep you from going forward with the Lord. You are going forward with the Lord. It'll latch hold of you and keep you from continuing on. And it's very real. We all have to deal with it. We all have to deal with peer pressure. It ain't just the middle schooler. It's all of us. And we all have to deal with fear. Everybody wants to be liked. Everybody wants to be accepted. But sometimes when you stand for truth, you're not going to be liked. 
You're not going to be accepted. So we go back. Let's think about this one. Peter failed. Peter. Peter. He failed. Miserably. If you really love somebody and you know they're in hypocrisy of any kind, you know they're failing in any way, if you really love them, you, you won't be silent. You won't just say, well, I'll just pray for them. No. You go to them. And that's what Paul did. And because Peter's hypocrisy was public and affecting the church, Paul's rebuke and confrontation was public. Let me tell you something. That took some courage. And when Paul did that, you know who he was like? He was just like Jesus. You know what they said about Jesus? (laughs) They said, you aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. They said that in the context of trying to trick him and trap him, which never worked. What they said about him was true. You aren't swayed by men. I know what it is to be swayed by men. I know what it is as a Christian. I know what it is as a pastor to give in. Thank God for those people in our lives. You don't feel it at the time, but sometimes you thank God for your spouse. <laughs> you know? And man, we, we husbands, we're stubborn, we're stubborn, and, we, and they, they say it verbally. They say it verbally. Look, look at the wives nudging the husband right now. I can, see it. I can see you on live stream right now. You're nudging your husband right now. And sometimes it's a word, you know, but sometimes it's without a word. It's amazing how wives can do it without a word. Hey, listen. <laughs> you know, it wasn't the first time Peter had been confronted. You know that, right? Remember, final Passover meal, Jesus says to the disciples, you're all going to fall away. They said, no, we're not. Peter says, they might, they might, but I won't. I'll die with you. Jesus says, Peter, let me tell you the truth. This very night before the cock crows three times, you'll deny that you even know me three times. Peter says, no way, Lord. I will die with you. And he's emphatic. And he continues with that verbal commitment in front of all the other apostles and before Jesus. The night drags on. Jesus goes before the Supreme Court. Peter's following at a distance. It's a cold night. He's there warming himself by the enemy's fire. A little girl comes up and says, you're one of those Jesus followers, aren't you? Not me. You got the wrong guy, not me. I'm just hanging out, seeing what's going on. Some time passes, a second time. Someone says, ah, your speech gives you away. You're one of those Jesus followers. And now Peter curses. He begins to curse to try to add weight, proof that he's not a follower of Jesus. He curses. More time passes. A third time someone says, yes, you are one of those Jesus followers. And again, he curses and denies that he has any relationship with Jesus. And at that moment, at that moment, cock-a-doodle-doo, cock crows, man. You know what the Bible tells us? When the cock crowed, Jesus, however far away he was, he was within eyeball distance, and he turned toward Peter. And Peter, it says, turned toward Jesus. And not a word was spoken, but a ton was said. And Peter knew. He knew, and he he felt like such a failure. Because he was. He knew what it was to fail before. He knew what it was to be confronted in his failure. 
Paul was Jesus for Peter in Galatians chapter 2. And Paul confronted him out of love because Paul wasn't swayed by men. Paid no attention to who they are. Cared more about what God thought. Now, before I move on, you know what we're not told? That I want to know. I want to know so bad. And the text doesn't tell us. You know what I I want to know that the text doesn't tell us? It's when Paul confronted Peter. How did Peter respond? Doesn't tell us. Peter could have said, who in the world do you think you are? Do you know who I am? Peter is reputed to be a pillar in the church. He is a key leader. According to the Catholic Church, he's the first pope. Guess what? Papal infallibility got a problem here. Because he blew it. I don't know how he responded. I hope he responded the same way he responded when Jesus turned and caught him eyeball to eyeball. I hope he said, Paul, that's hard to take, but you know what? You're absolutely right. And I hope he repented in front of all of them. So as we bring it to a close, here's our challenge from the text. To clearly communicate and rightly represent the gospel message. Don't you mess it up. Peter messed it up. Peter misrepresented the truth by his actions. It's by the grace of God, because of the mercy of God, and it's solely by faith in Jesus Christ and nothing else. And don't you add whatever your conviction is to the gospel message. You can believe it's better for a Christian never to touch alcohol. But if you make that a legalistic line to get somebody into heaven or out of heaven, you just adulterated the gospel message. If you make whether somebody goes to the movies or not. <laughs> Listen, if you add anything to the gospel message, you've just ruined it. It's Jesus and what he did and what we believe. I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And now the grace of God, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. And the mercy of God floods my life, and I'm headed for heaven solely because of what Jesus did, not because of anything I've done. Amen? That's the truth. Clearly communicate it and rightly represent it. And don't ever give anybody comfort in thinking, I'm going to heaven because I'm a pretty good person. No, you're not. You must be born again. We got to tell them that message. You got to tell them the message that Jesus gave and the message of the gospel. Unless you are born again by faith in Jesus Christ, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. The second challenge is standing for truth. And the principle here, the principle here is standing for truth, period. The main message is standing for the truth of the gospel. But the principle is would you stand for truth, period. I pray especially for young people that are led to go off to a college where they got to get their training for what they feel called to in life. With so many colleges you get to, you know, and there you are away from home and away from the influence you have at home, hopefully a Christian influence, and all of a sudden you're going to hear very smart people 
teaching you things like evolution and all these crazy beliefs that have no foundation and no basis of truth in the Scriptures. And you're going to have all these young people buying into all this crazy stuff. And it's a great challenge at that point in your life to take a stand for truth. And it's so easy, and I've seen it. It's sad. I grieve. Some people, because of peer pressure and fear, end up going with the crowd. And over time, they convince themselves that they believe what the crowd believes, even though they started with a good foundation. Take a stand for truth, period. Third, it's not enough to just hear somebody or watch somebody going down the wrong path and then go, well, I'll just pray for them. No, 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 no. Not wrong to pray for them, but if you, if you have a position in their life and you have a place where you can, you can confront them, if you really love them, you will confront them. And it's not easy to do. I've had to confront situations as a pastor where people have left the church, people that were once my friends, and then you confront them about issues and then they leave. And you're just like, well, what did I do? I loved you. I loved you the way nobody else would love you. And that's what it is. You love them enough that you, you are going to confront them in their falsehood, their hypocrisy, their waywardness. It's what Jesus did. It's what the prophets did. It's what every single believer from Genesis to Revelation did who was worth their salt for the kingdom of God. You confront the falsehood. You confront the hypocrisy. And then last but not least, we're going to be this and we're going to do this. It's going to take conviction. It's going to take courage. And it's going to take commitment to Christ. 12.10, pretty much done. I want to go back. One verse. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Now that you have it, you don't need to read it from there. I just wanted you to know where it is. And I put it right here. Come on, say this with me. If you say this with me, I'll unlock the doors and let you leave. Come on, say it. Through the mask. I can tell whether your mask is moving or not. All right? Here we go. Say it loud. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. You have to get to that point, and then you have to stay at that point. And it's one thing to get there because sometimes it's in your own home. David went out. He danced before the Lord as they're bringing the ark back into Jerusalem after being in enemy hands for years. His wife, McCall, was looking down from their house at David, her husband, dancing and leaping before the Lord. He partially disrobed in order to be able to dance before the Lord. And when he gets back home, first thing his wife says, well, you really made a scene for yourself before the slave girls today, didn't you? In other words, your motive was to call attention to yourself and get these women to be impressed. And he was criticized by his own wife for an act he did unto the Lord. And David said to his, his own wife, he said, I'll become even more undignified if it's before the Lord and for the Lord. And sometimes it's in your own home and with your own family. And it's a great challenge you got to get to the place where you care more about what God thinks than what people think.
We're so thankful to be able to share the Word of God with you here on The Living Word. Thanks for being a part of our listening audience. If you want to hear today's message again, please visit ccfstpete.church. You can also join us in our Bible reading plan. Just look under the Resources tab on our website for more information. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to take a moment and ask you to partner with us here on The Living Word. Would you join with us in praying for the listeners of this program? Prayer is such a powerful tool against the enemy, and there's much to pray about during these days of speculation, doubt, and fear. Perhaps there's a listener who's really wrestling with all of the uncertainties, and your prayers could be a way to minister to their heart and mind, renewing their faith along the way. Please pray that each person who hears these messages would find encouragement. We're reminded in these New Testament books that God came to earth as a man, just like us, and suffered in ways that we might be suffering currently. But He came to redeem each one of us, and that gives hope beyond what's happening in front of you. Thanks for praying. With that, we've come to the end of our time today. Thanks for joining us as Pastor Danny continued teaching through this series called New Testament Highlights. We hope you'll tune in again, right here on The Living Word.